In June of 2020, I caught up with Newfound Glory drummer Cyrus Baluki to talk about 18 years of Sticks and Stones, their alter ego band International Superheroes of Hardcore, and the creative process for their 10th album, Forever and Ever Times Infinity. Hope you enjoy the interview. Hey, it's Cyrus from Newfound Glory. I am hanging out with Rob on Front Row Live. It's great catching up with you. It's been a long time since the last time I've actually gotten to speak with you. Um, in fact, I think it was probably like one of the last few House of Blues Hollywood shows uh, where I actually wow. got to talk to you. Um, but first of all, congratulations with uh, 18 years of Six and Stones, a record that pretty much put Newfound Glory or basically made everybody fall in love with Newfound Glory, including myself. I was a sophomore in high school. And when that record came out, I was so obsessed that I told myself, you know, come graduation, I'm going to find a way to work with Newfound Glory. And, um, you know, sure enough, I started my first channel, Punk Videos Rock, and then did a lot of like interviews and sessions and stuff with you guys over the years. And um, so, you know, this album is so monumental to us fans, but I'm sure it's the same for you guys. Um, so, you know, what, um, from the recording process, do you remember like any, any bit that, you know, was so memorable to you? Yeah, totally. Um, it's funny that you you asked me that question because I, out of everybody in the band, I think I'm the most into recording and, and producing and engineering. So, uh, you know, I always found myself and still find myself kind of like looking over the producer's shoulders for that. I want to see what he's doing and or what they're doing, you know, turning knobs and things like that. So that record, um, first off, we recorded that record in two different areas, two different studios, which we still sometimes do today. And we did the drums at a place called um, Larrabee East, which was up in L.A. I come to find out Michael Jackson recorded there. I mean, it's L.A., so everybody's always recorded in these studios. Uh, but we also had used that studio with the late Jerry Finn to do a demo of Hit or Miss that ended up coming out on our 10th anniversary of the, the self-titled record. But we did the drums in this amazing studio with Mike Fasano, a drum tech, uh, working on it. We ended up working with uh, every band ever, basically. And... Um, then we moved down to a place called Signature Sound in San Diego. And it's a smaller studio. But, you know, I found out later that, like, the gear they have there is okay. But we brought in some other gear. I didn't really realize at the time. We were trying to make it kind of mesh the two, the two studios mesh, you know, sound, sonically, right? Um, but for me, the biggest thing about that record was having Neil Avron, who produced it. Uh, it was the second record that he did with us. And so the first record he did, our, our self-titled record, we did in South Florida. And there was a lot of... He did. Well, he, did he, wasn't, he wasn't very vocal about it, but you could tell, and I, years later I kind of figured out, he had a lot of uh, internal conflicts because he, this is our first major label record. And so he had to try to figure out how to produce us without overproducing us. And it slipped up a couple times where he would like give an idea for a harmony or an arrangement, and it would be like, oh my God, that's awesome. He's like, no, 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 we can't do that. And that's like somebody telling you like, hey, I have a secret. And they're like, no, no, no I'm not going to tell you. And it's like, no, you have to. And so you found out that, well, you probably shouldn't do this. It's too much for you guys. And as, as reluctant as we were, we kind of allowed that to, to happen or not happen, I should say. But then fast forward to Sticks and Stones. And when you turn it on, the first song, understatement, comes on. And when you get to the chorus of the song, this is going to get a little nerdy. But the, the, the second half of each chorus, when Jordan sings, you're getting worse. There's a harmony. And the harmony does this weird, we call it chromatic thing. And it's a weird like interval, which means two different notes that happen. It's a different sound for us. And it was things like that that we started doing on this record that I absolutely loved. Throw in the extra harmony if you need to. Uh, do we need to put uh, 
you know, a little like electronic thing like we do at the beginning of Singled Out. You know, there were like cool things like that. And then we also had fun stuff like Mark Hoppus from Blink-182 played the bass on something I call personality. A lot of people didn't know that, but he was a friend of ours at that time. We just finished touring with him and he wanted to get on our record and we're like, well, why don't you play a whole track? And then there's other little things like uh, the story so far, the last track of the record. Some people don't know this, but the first two snare drum hits, it's not me playing drums. It's actually Ian, our bass player, because he was like, I want to play drums on the record. And I'm like, what do you, how? It's not going to work, man. People are going to be able to tell it's you. And he's like, well, I can do the snare hits. I'm like, all right. So yeah, he did the first two snare hits of uh, story so far. And he was like, look, even trade, I'll let you do the first bass, bass notes. So the first, you know, whatever, one, two, three, four, first four bass notes is me. And we swapped up like that. And there's a cool hidden track. So, you know, there's a lot, lots of cool things about that record. Isn't Ian the one that least enjoys the recording process and then he wanted to add some more to his, to his uh, responsibilities? Oh, totally. Well, here's the, here's the deal. Uh, least enjoys the recording process when it's him playing bass, you know, when it's him under the microscope. But when you're playing drums, if you don't get it right, he'll just be like, ah, screw it. I'm not a drummer anyways. You do it, right? Or, or just fix me or something. But, you know, it's different when it's your own instrument. And I can totally understand that and, and sympathize with that one. So as you got to, you know, try new things with, with this record and because of Neil Avron, um, I feel like that kind of set the stage for the rest of the Newfound Glory uh, albums um, and did you see like um, an evolution that was pretty obvious as you guys went on to every record or wasn't was it an evolution that was just so minuscule that um, you know it was just it was just another day at work another day creating music no I don't think it's ever been like that and I think if it ever gets to that point where it feels like just another day at the office you know that's not a good sign for a band right you you want to be challenged create uh, creatively and you know, you want everything to kind of have its place and feel unique. So uh, quickly going through the timeline, after Sticks and Stones, our next record catalyst, Neil Avron also produced. And that's where we really put the pedal to metal. And like any idea we had, we tried. We recorded 17 tracks for that record. We had a gospel choir on one song. We had a string quartet on another song. I mean, you name it. We had double drum sets on songs. Like, it was awesome. And uh, for me, producing engineering-wise, I mean, it was like, a kid in a, you know, in, a, in a candy shop as far as like seeing what we were doing there, right? But then moving past that, immediately following Catalyst, we had Coming Home. And it was a completely different world because Neil Avron did not produce that record. And instead, we co-produced it with uh, this guy, Tom Venunzio, who was an A&R guy at our label at the time. A whole nother experience because we did everything except for literally turn the knobs. We had all the ideas. We wrote it and all that. And so that was a, a challenge for us and it changed our music because it slowed it down and we wanted to try some keyboards and we didn't have this like outside voice guiding us. And then coming back from coming home and going back through uh, our tip of the iceberg EP and the not without a fight, uh, it's our cover records, obviously radio surgery, stuff like that. We kind of went back and forth and we experimented at sometimes uh, not without a fight, I think was a record where we wanted to make sure people didn't forget that we were newfound glory, this band that can have these riffs. And if you want us to scream, we'll scream. And we even covered some, uh, you know, songs from like hardcore bands and stuff like that. Um, but then you get to radio surgery, which we brought Neil back on board. And that was a fun record because that was almost a, a nod to the Ramones era, which was ironic, but we had just done a show with Marky Ramone playing drums where we covered or we played as the Ramones, if you want to call it. So we had to learn all this Ramones material and it, inspired us to maybe write songs that sonically would sound like that and that's where you have radio surgery and then resurrection you know it was a big thing about us trying to write a record and, and record it 
where we have one guitar player and making it sound that way. And it's still big and, and huge sounding, but it doesn't have to have tons of layers of guitars. Makes me sick. Let's do the same thing, but instead we can have extra guitars, but now let's put a keyboard on it, but not make it coming home. So let's have layers, but it doesn't have to be too slow. And then, you know, fast forward to our new record, Forever and Ever Times Infinity. I feel like we finally, finally have come to the point where we can just be like, let's make a record. So what we did this time was we do what we do best. Uh, write some riffs, put them together. If they're fast, great. If it's a short song, great. Who cares? You know, you put a slow song at the end because we just had that riff and it worked. But overall, it's a pretty energetic kind of in-your-face record that's very much newfound glory. Right. And, you know, aside from bringing Steve Evitz on this, which is incredible, um, because his, his client list is insane from Static Lullaby, Dillinger, Suicide, uh, Hatebreed, like all those like heavier bands. So I'm sure like that transition of going from someone like Neil Avron, more of a pop radio kind of producer to someone that is more on the heavier side and understands the heavier music. I'm sure that was a drastic change uh, when you guys went into the studio to start recording. Um, what was that initial process with, with Steve once you guys jumped in and started uh, recording uh, this record? Well, the good thing was there, there, was, a, there was a relationship before this. Uh, we knew who Steve was almost our entire career because you name the bands right there. Obviously, we know who those bands are. But even some other bands like Saves a Day, a band that we you know, were like basically best friends with when we both started our careers because we toured with them so many times. Never really met Steve through them, but obviously had a lot of appreciation for how he worked with them. He, Steve actually mixed from the Screen Year Serial Part 3, our last our, our cover record, and that was the release just before this one. So we got to know Steve a little bit during that mixing process, and he was the one who actually reached out to us and said, hey, look, if your new record is going to sonically be like this at all or any of that stuff, I'm in, sign me up. And so that's where we got the idea, hey, maybe you should, you know, we should have him produce it as well. So it was cool because... He understands us. He's been around and he gets this scene very much. So he knows, you know, where to insert himself, where not to insert himself, but has these great musical ideas as well. And at this point in our career, that's really the biggest thing that we need when we bring in a producer, besides obviously having somebody who can engineer and make things sound a certain way if we want it or whatever. It's you, you need somebody who you can bounce an idea off of. And there's confidence that they'll give you either constructive criticism or some kind of like feedback that could work in that situation and steve had some great ideas recording wise it was fun with him because he's old school in a lot of ways so like with drums there were lots of mics i mean the guy put a microphone uh six inches off the floor near one of my floor toms because he was walking around and i think he like tripped or something almost and like he was like wait a second do you hear how good it sounds right there and i'm like no because i'm sitting on the drums he's like it sounds awesome put a microphone there and we put a microphone in a fireplace and i mean like I don't know if that stuff is actually in the, the final mixes, but it was pretty cool to see that. And it was also something where you got to be very careful walking around because there's microphones in weird spots. But it was really fun working with him. That's cool. I love it when they get creative um, and yeah. they use stuff that's not usually used, you know, to make sounds or to, to kind of record a sound. Um, I When you guys first dropped Himalaya, I was... Super excited because it gave me this nostalgic vibe of international superheroes of hardcore. And okay. it's like, you know, I was at those chain reaction shows when you guys did uh, those shows. And, you know, those were so much fun. You know, it's like I get to see Newfound in a different light for, you know, in a sense. And so, you know, listening to Himalaya towards the end of it, it kind of reminded me of that. And 
you know, it makes me wonder, like, what happened to international superheroes? And, you know, is that something that, you know, Newfound Glory could possibly bring in again for some kind of special occasion? Well, uh, let me let me start start off the answer here by saying, ironically, you mentioned Himalaya because that is what is on the screen behind me. Uh, <laughs> you know, this whole I, this this era of Zoom, I didn't want to do a fake background, so I put up Pro Tools. This is my home studio, and the song I picked was Himalaya. That's my favorite song off the new record. I, I absolutely awesome. love it for a lot of the same reasons you were saying, right? Um, so, international superheroes are hardcore. It's I, I listened to I listened to it the other day. Just I was on iTunes. Was like, hey, let me put this on. It's kind of funny. Those songs are awesome. And yeah. it's so crazy if you know like a little bit about the timeline of when all that stuff came about. We wrote and recorded those songs while we were doing Coming Home. And it was like the most yin-yang situation you could even have, you know, like just complete opposites because it was, we almost needed that. We needed that outlet. And this is what I think Not Without a Fight almost not ended up becoming, but it was kind of the same idea. Like nobody really understood the international superheroes are hardcore and coming home like relationship. But that was us just reminding ourselves that yes, we're, you know, we can be hardcore or whatever. We appreciate this music and we could write these songs all day long, but we'll make them joke about Harry Potter and stuff like that. But then we just put out a record called coming home. That's got this like slowest songs we've ever done. So could we ever do it again? I mean, I guess theoretically I don't have to do much. I always hated that. I wanted to play guitar or something, but no, nobody <laughs> can play drums. You know, Ian can play a snare, but that's it. Right. Nobody could play our songs like that. Um, so I would always be down. We, we, we like to say though, because international superheroes are hardcore. So they're superheroes. So there are weird stories that you, maybe you have a, an offshoot. Maybe there's like a prequel that happens or something. Um, but otherwise that franchise might be, might be gone. They, they, they might have, uh, they might have gone away forever. Hopefully not. Cause I'd love, I'd, I'd love to see that again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's cool. Maybe, that, maybe there know. needs, maybe, maybe we need a new superhero in there. You never know. Maybe some special maybe. guests get in there and they have some names or something. You never know. There we go. There we go. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, as, as, as we jump back on this, on this uh, album with uh, Steve Evans, um, how did he, you know, you mentioned how he, he put the mics in, in, you know, different weird places. But for you, how did you feel he challenged you as far as a drummer goes? Because uh, I've heard before that Steve Evans will challenge you until you get what he, you know, is envisioning. So how did you feel challenged on this record? So going into this record uh, last year when we were on the From the Screen Your Stereo Part 3 shows, uh, the tour, I should say, uh, Real Friends was with us. And that's a band that he had worked with in the past. And when we told the guys in Real Friends that we were working with, with Steve Evans, uh, that was pretty much their one comment was, oh, just be ready, man. He's going to push you. And we're like, it's all good. You know, we've been doing this long enough. We're fine. They weren't kidding. Um, you know, Steve was, and, and it was, it was slight, it was kind of, kind of refreshing because most of our records for the last, uh, almost decade, Neil Avron's different because he obviously knows us and he's a certain kind of producer, but a lot of the records we'd walk into and when we go to record it, we, we spend a lot of time ahead of time like writing and doing what we call pre-production, like putting the record together outside of the studio so that when we get in the studio, we know what we're doing. And it's really just about getting it sounding good. Well, we would get in there and you'd play and like, for instance, on drums, you do a couple takes and if the takes sounded good, that was it. You know, you're, you're good, you're good to go. Steve was like this guy where it's like, I would play a take that I thought was great and I'm sure the te tempo was fine, whatever. And he's like, can you hit the drum a little harder there? And I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, nah, I just... I just feel like you could hit a little harder or like Himalaya, for instance, I recorded the song and thought it sounded amazing. He goes, 
you know, I feel like in the verses, you can't hear it. the snare, you can't really hear it that much. And I'm like, well, great. You know that thing called a fader? You just turn it up. Like, you, go, you can go in Pro Tools and do that. Replace it with something else. He's like, we should swap snares. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, you can't do that in the middle of a song. I'm not going to do that live. He's like, no, no, just for the record. Let's swap snares and have you replay that verse, and then, we'll, you know, we're good. And he did that. He made me do, like, cymbal fills. Like, what is a cymbal fill? And I still, I mean, I need to go back. I have, like, the, the dr raw drum takes because I've forgotten some of these because it was so, like, Will Ferrell, old school, you're almost blacking out, just trying to get it done. Like what Ian was saying, it's nerve wracking, right? And it was like just little things where it's like, no, no, hit, hit these two crashes like this or whatever. And I'm like, Steve, I'm never going to do this again. He's like, I don't care, just do it now, right? So, but it's cool because in some ways, and, and there's a couple of them that obviously I'm going to remember because they're so memorable. I would have never thought of that. Would have never thought of doing this little like symbol move here or whatever, or, you know, use the symbol as almost like a, an extension, like a drum. I just use them to like, crash and have the high end you know what i mean so yeah he had really cool ways drum wise for me and i'm sure he's the same way with everybody else with their stuff where do you feel chad was on this record for the writing process um, you know what do you think his mindset was while he was starting to work on this album so uh chad's a riff machine right the guy will never stop writing riffs and um so that's where you know nine times out of ten that's where the songs come from and in recent years the lyrics have also come from him as well but with this record, I, I tell everybody that our process is pretty much the same, at least it has been for the last couple of records, where we do a lot of our writing on the road. But I feel like in the last year, year and a half, um, pretty much starting with the, the last cover record, that From the Screen Year Stereo Part 3 process was very fun for us. It was very relaxing. It was nice to get back to covers where the work is done for you. You don't have to think of much except, like, do we play this guitar part or not or do this part twice? So coming from that, and the tours that we had, even before that, the stick tour and going into the Screen Year Stereo tours, we were a very tight, get, tight, like, knit unit, right? And on stage and even off, just feeling really good about our band. And that definitely translated into this record. So I think that's where these ideas were freely flowing. And you want to talk about a song like Himalaya. To, to be honest, Himalaya was a song that came about three days before we entered the studio, which has happened so many times in our career. My Friends Over You. The night before we start recording drum tracks for Sticks and Stones, Chad says, I have this idea and it's my friends over you, right? And some of our biggest songs have always been these last minute things, but that is a sign of a band that is very comfortable. And, you know, Chad, I guess as a riff machine, just chugging these things out and you're like, it's too, too good not to try it at least. And then Himalaya, like for instance, wrote itself. He had a couple riffs. We went to go put it together. There was like no questions of we can all feel when this part comes in, we can all feel how fast this needs to be, how slow this needs to be or whatnot, where the like group vocals need to go and all that. So um, I think he was in a great place. And then quickly on, on the lyric side, you know, this record I think is a little different from some of our other records because it's not as, uh, as negative as some of the other records have been, right? It's a little more right. positive. And I think that is a reflection of not only Chad, but kind of all of us in our lives. We're all very, very content. Um, with, with where we are, whether it's with families or without, or just, you know, feeling good about kind of life. Of course, this was all back in September, October, you know, pre-pandemic or whatever, but it's actually a good thing for what's going on now, I think, because this lyrical content is not as depressing as some other music, especially pop punk music a lot of times has been. So maybe it's a good thing to get yourself away from what's going on currently. Right. It, it's funny because I, I, never, I never thought that the same band that helped me throughout all my high school breakups 
will actually help me and write what might even be my wedding song uh, more and more. And it's on the same uh, yeah, record. And it's on that same record that is like such a fast-paced record, and then you drop more and more, and it's just like you just fall in love even more with Newfound Glory. Um, but you know, what was the what was the idea behind adding more and more on this record? So I'm glad you brought that up because I always forget. I, I I go to slipping away because it's the last song, and I think a lot of people will be like, "Yeah, it's a little slow, whatever." But I really love that song, and I think it's a great uh, ending point for the record. The end of that song kind of lends itself to the end of a record but more and more you're right it kind of comes out of left field almost and it really breaks up all this like energy going on it was actually one of the first demos that we did so uh chad had more and more i think um oh what else i feel like it was double chin for the win we called it any other guy back then um and like one other song oh uh, also uh, shook by your shaved head. Those are like the first four songs that I remember working with Chad on because I do a lot of the demos with him. And so uh, I was at, at his house actually, and we were recording stuff. And he's like, "Look, I have this like acoustic idea, um, but I'm gonna do it on an electric guitar because it's easier to record that way." And we did, and it was the riff for more and more the beginning riff. And for the longest time, that was just gonna be like a song with no drums. It was just gonna be guitars and a vocal, maybe even a guitar and a vocal, like a Get Up Kids style or whatever. But, um, you know, we, we talked about trying to kind of put in these drums, almost like we did with uh, 20 Years From Now on Makes Me Sick, about halfway through and trying to see if we can get the song big at the end. And it was cool. It was cool to mess around with that in pre-production and try to see all these different, like, beats, if they would work or not with that song. But uh, on its own, if you were to play that with one guitar and Jordan singing, I think it's an amazing song. And that's always a good sign on songs. So, yeah, that thing was pretty much written from the very beginning. Uh, just there was no real changes to it except adding some instruments. It was it was just such a simple song, and it just it just had such big impact. Especially the way that you guys organized it on this record, I, I feel like that was important. I don't think you could have started this album with more and more, and then like work your way the you know with the rest of the songs. Oh, definitely not. There's almost no getting back from that, except after you've had about eight eight other tracks, you know, that are faster. You can throw in more and more as like a nice change of pace, and then people are like. Oh, but wait a second. Yeah, there's still more, you know, so you still have some of the faster stuff after. That's awesome. I'm, I'm excited for this record. I'm more excited for once the live shows happen because I feel like this record is going to resonate so well on the stage. Um, I mean, like, just for me personally, like, you know, whenever you guys start playing Sticks and Stones or any other older stuff, like I, you know, that live show just gets even bigger for me. And I can't... I, I'm pretty sure that once this record goes on a tour, it's going to be just as insane as Sticks and Stones. Well, thank you. And yeah, I mean, we were saying that as we were writing it. And, you know, we do that a lot when we write records. People, I don't know if they would want to believe us or not, but we, we make some decisions in the arrangement process thinking about the live shows. You know, not to sound cheesy. It's not like thinking about, oh, we can all jump at the same time at this part. But it's like, would this part be cool for like a crowd sing-along, right? Or is this part going to get boring, you know, or, oh yeah, this is, this bridge is great. We should only do it one time, but we know that when we're like live, we're probably going to do it four or five times. And that's when like, we'll have people clap or whatever. And you think about that because the live show is so important to us. And yeah, we were saying that, I mean, again, one of the reasons why for me, Himalaya is my favorite track is I just cannot wait to see what it's like live. Um, I think it's going to go off. I think it's going to go off. It would never be a radio single, but it's going to be so huge live. 
Hey, it's Rob again. If you enjoyed this interview, please follow for more and I invite you to head over to my YouTube channel, Front Row Live ENT, where I have thousands of video interviews with my favorite new and established artists. Once again, thank you for tuning in and have a great night.